ACR Homes has essential jobs and internships for students. Find peace of mind and job security with their flexible and rewarding part-time jobs by caring for the needs of people who have disabilities. Because ACR Homes offers paid training, your compassion for others and desire to make a difference is more important than your previous experience. To apply, contact University Office at acrhomes.com or visit their website at www.acrhomes.com. Hey y'all, and welcome back to another week. Before I introduce our story, I have a favor to ask. In the No Reporters, Megan and Yoko are hoping to do a story on student mental health in the coming weeks, and they want to know how you are doing in your own words. So, grab a recorder, or even just your phone, and send us a brief voice memo. Let us know where you're at mentally in the midst of such a historic semester. How are you feeling? What's keeping you up at night? What are you struggling with? When you're done, please email your audio diary to us at inthenow@mndaily.com. That's I-N-T-H-E-K-N-O-W at mndaily.com. And just a heads up, if you choose to record on your phone, hold it up to your ear as if you're making a normal phone call to get the best quality. Thanks. Let's get into this week's episode. Here's Megan and Yoko with the story. Hi everyone, I'm Megan Germanson. I'm Yoko Vu, and you're listening to In the Know, a podcast by the Minnesota Daily. We're going to get right to it. We have breaking news out of Minneapolis at this hour. Minneapolis City Council members have announced their plan to disband the Minneapolis Police Department. Well, their main message here was to invest in the community and not the police. To end policing as we know it. Last June, on a stage at Powderhorn Park, several Minneapolis City Council members gathered together pledging to defund the Minneapolis Police Department. But this idea didn't quite play out as many had hoped. It was a big idea that left many people confused and unclear about how it would be achieved. The idea quickly fizzled out and was halted from the upcoming November ballot by the City Charter Commission. But long before the city council had even considered the idea of defunding, social justice groups like Twin Cities Coalition for Justice for Jamar were calling for a different way to take back power from the police, community control. And now this idea has reached the university campus. So in today's episode, we're going to learn about community control from two groups advocating for it, what it means, how it's different from defunding, and what it could look like in action. So I spoke with Jay Yates, a representative for TCC4J, a group that's been pressuring the city council for community control of the police since 2017. I recently joined Twin Cities Coalition for Justice for Jamar back in June because I was helping organize the um, Taking Back Pride event. And then I just sort of stayed on after that. I moved to Minnesota like a year after Um, Jamar Clark was killed and I had heard of Twin Cities Coalition for Justice for Jamar because of their anti-corporate pride protests actually. Police and protesters after 24-year-old Jamar Clark was shot and killed by an officer from the Minneapolis Police Department. Justice for Jamar formed in November 2015 during the protests that erupted after the police killing of Jamar Clark. They wanted to put pressure on local government to um, prosecute the officers. That didn't happen, obviously. (laughs) 
In 2016, Hennepin County Attorney Mike Freeman declined to charge the officers in the Clark case. And in the summer of 2019, Jamar Clark's family reached a tentative settlement with the city for $200,000. Just for context, that same summer, the family of Justine Ruschek, who was killed by Minneapolis police officer Mohamed Noor, settled with the city for $20 million, the largest misconduct payout in state history, according to NPR News. Former officer Mohamed Noor was the first Somali-American cop hired in the 5th Precinct and the first Minnesota police officer convicted of murder in recent history. But um, I think that despite that, people saw that the families really needed the support for even attempting to get that sort of accountability. Since then, Justice for Jamar has been organizing other events, supporting the family members of victims of police brutality, and advocating for community control of the police. Yeah, um, it's Civilian Police Accountability Council. And a lot of times people abbreviate that to CPAC, but people also just refer to like the general concept as community control of the police. Community control of the police uh, is actually a concept that the Black Panthers um, championed uh, in in Oakland, which then made its way to Chicago. Um, and Chicago has been um, fighting for community control of the police. Organizers there have been fighting for that for a while, like since the like 70s, mainly because people sort of confuse it. And I did this too when I first heard about CPAC of assuming that it's the same as, you know, community policing, which is more of a surveillance tactic by the police to 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 use like members of the community to surveil their own community um that sort of like officer friendly type narrative uh but community control of the police um seeks to establish a elected council of nine um civilians the cpac would be completely independent from law enforcement And in order to ensure that, they've come up with several eligibility requirements to run for a position on the council. Council representatives can't have worked as a law enforcement officer and must disclose any familial ties with law enforcement. So the point of CPAC is to take away the power for police to investigate themselves um, because that's a conflict of interest and it's clear that they use that to protect their own instead of actually investigating the crimes that are committed. We want power um, over budget, for example, to be like shifted away from city council because essentially we're not interested in, in having like this continued influx of money into these police departments. Jay has been involved in writing the legislation to propose CPAC, along with other members of Justice for Jamar. And they said that one of the big tenets is that hiring and firing power goes to that council rather than like the police chief, um, for example. So that, in- that means that we can also fire the police chief if, if the council deems that appropriate. Um, and then as far as um, community say, in what the council itself does, we proposed in our legislation that there be um, a set number of public meetings every year that the public can um, sit in on um, and ask questions and raise concerns. Um, because at the end of the day, we, we want 
this is for like the regular people that like live here because those are the people that are affected by policing. The city of Minneapolis already has at least two different commissions that essentially serve as law enforcement watchdogs, although in different ways. The Office of Police Conduct Review, or OPCR, and the Police Conduct Review Commission, or PCOC. Both of these groups are made up of panelists appointed by the mayor, city council, and the chief of police. And these commissions can do things like investigate civilian complaints, hold public hearings, shape policy, and help with different trainings for the MPD. But right now, in the midst of a contentious time between police, civilians, and politicians in the city, the PCOC has four vacant seats, all of which require appointments by either the mayor or city council. So I asked Jay how a CPAC would differ from what the city already has in place. CPAC is really trying to like mediate the behavior of the police, knowing that like the function of the police is to oppress its community. It's not about reforming the police, it's about curtailing their power. So I think that for us, it's really about um, giving people uh, self-determinative power over how they are policed, um, because I don't think it's possible for us to get rid of the police like tomorrow. I I don't think that we (laughs) have had sufficient time to come up with an alternative for police Um, And we also have not addressed most of the structural issues that allow the police to um, enact violence on communities. And then, so how would this differ from compare with uh, what other nonprofit groups like Reclaim the Block, for example, what they're calling for as far as like abolition uh, or defunding? Right. Um, I think that, you know, I, I consider myself an abolitionist, but I think that abolition is something that takes a lot of time um, and abolition is only possible um, through a very specific set of, of conditions and steps. And I don't think, I don't think there's any reason to think that city council would ever follow through with either abolishing the police department or um, defunding it on their own. I think that they've really shown us that, honestly. I think that what Reclaim the Block tends to do is, I think that they are doing the best that they can with the knowledge that they have, but I don't think that they have necessarily come to understand the process of how a defunding proposal would work. And I think that what will end up happening if we rely on city council to do do this work on their own is that it'll be sort of like what happened with the uh, Minneapolis school board of them <laughs> saying, you know, yeah, we're cutting ties with MPD and then being like, and we're going to hire private security in their place because that's not any better. That's not helping anyone. And it's not what anybody asked for. The Minneapolis City Charter is the city's constitution, and the Minneapolis Charter Commission is made up of nine unelected officials appointed by a judge. In order to change a provision in the charter and get it on the ballot, like defunding the police, for example, you have to go through the City Charter Commission. After the city council members' big announcement at Powderhorn, their proposal to defund the police went to the city charter. And facing a tight deadline, the Charter Commission voted a month later to block their proposal from the 2020 ballot saying they needed more time to review it. 
why do you think that uh you know you guys have been advocating for this idea for a while and this idea in general has been around for a while why do you think it didn't gain as much traction as uh defunding did for example um honestly i think that defunding is a little bit more it's pithier it's a, it's more attractive um it's uh i think that there was a lot of branding behind that um but there's not necessarily an understanding of how to actually get defunding to happen and i think of cpac as the how you get that to happen again like we i think that most of us are absolutely proponents of defunding the police we definitely think that they need to have less um militarized weapons um they need to have i mean their police chief's salary is pretty nuts um like we like we definitely think that that money needs to be reallocated to the community um i think that the the only real difference is is that we think that our way is going to actually get defunding to happen um as opposed to just saying we should defund the police um it's just that we're trying to submit an actual plan for for getting that um that goal accomplished and also just people don't really have much education about the black panthers or what they were trying to do people really just think of them as like you know black guys that carried guns and like that's it (laughs) um but they actually did a lot of of work like this um and so i think it's it's a misunderstanding of sort of like the legacy of of the of the idea what do you think that the future of policing is going to look like in this city um you know do you what are you thinking or what are you hoping um yeah i think for me personally as far as the near future I think that I really want to see reparations basically for um, people that have been directly harmed by police violence. Um, I think specifically um, getting justice for the families and, um, you know, firing the police officers that have killed their loved ones. Um, A lot of those officers are still on the force. a lot of those officers are people that we confront at like our events, which is horrifying um, to think about. So like, I, I, I hope that there's one day we don't need police as they currently exist. It's really, it's really not a way to live under um, the threat of being killed with impunity um, for really any offense that, the police deem that appropriate, like real or imagined. But also it's like, we, we see this as really vital um, to protecting people from losing their lives at the hands of police. And so um, I think it's work that we, we want to do um, regardless of who ends up coming along with us. Like we're, we're just really, we're just really determined to get it done, I think. But now, Justice for Jamar isn't alone in advocating for a CPAC in the Twin Cities. I spoke with Celia Nims, a member of the university's Students for a Democratic Society, or SDS, 
They talked about SDS's vision for the campus community's own CPAC to oversee the University of Minnesota Police Department. It would be um, a council that would be democratically collected by people that go to the university and people that live in the community as well. We've yeah, demanded that we have and that the members of the boards would be made up specifically of students, um, workers from like labor unions on campus, community members, um, including like areas in campus, but also the Cedar Riverside neighborhood because the University of Minnesota Police Department also places Cedar Riverside along with U of M. Um, so we find it very important that that neighborhood has representation on the CPAC. And how is SCS pushing this forward? Like, who are you talking to? How are you outreaching this um, to the community? So we're trying to encourage students to like get involved with like activism and like take up the point to like, I and mean, take up the demand like of a um, CPAC and like community control of the police. Right now and like for the past year or so, we've been like trying to pressure university administration into taking this up. Um, yeah, we've held like protests like on and off campus, you know, on campus, just like at the University of Minnesota Police Department, we've had marches and like die-ins around there. And then like, um, we've also made it a point to like put pressure on like administrators themselves. Celia said the SDS has seen little action from administrators on their demand for a CPAC. From the university um, administration, like we've talked to Joan Gable like a few times about this. Um, she hasn't like said much about whether she would like take up our demand. She said like we respect student voices, but it amounted to nothing and like no support, of course. Um, we have noticed as well that since we've taken up these demands that Joan Gable has appointed um, like an advisor to her over the police. Um, and we have met with him. Um, we are very critical and that's, that's, gonna be, that's not gonna be an adequate step to solving the police issue. The only issue that will solve it is community control, not like another administrator. Um, advising the president on it. Celia is referring to Dr. Cedric Alexander, who was appointed in August. You can listen to a previous episode where our reporters talked with Dr. Alexander. Celia said they weren't personally at the meeting, but they understood that Dr. Alexander appeared to be somewhat open to the idea of community control. Um, he didn't necessarily shut that down, and he said that there is a possibility for that to happen, um, which really took us by surprise. Like, we thought that he was just going to, like, shut us down for sure. Um, and disregard it, but we're not, we're not going to say we trust him by any means, but we will say that we are happy to hear that he is somewhat supportive of the idea of community control. SCS is still in the process of writing the specific policies that govern CPAC, but they say they plan to keep up their campaign to get more students involved. We recognize meeting with advisors and like people with universities is important, but it is not, the most crucial thing is activism and like engaging the student body and that that's what's going to win over this um, community control. Not, not working specifically with or gaining the approval of like administration. Following the uprisings this summer, Sila said that SDS put community control at the center of their demands. We've just like recognized also and like throughout the summer, like when people, when like there was talks of like the Minneapolis Police Department, like being abolished, we recognize community control to be like a much more like steady um, plan for, for protecting people against police brutality because it would establish community control of the police rather than just abolishing one police force and allowing another police force or even private police to come in and replace them and do the same harm that the city's police force had already done. And as far as the future of policing on campus? I think it's going to be a big long-term struggle for us to establish that. I hope and I believe that we someday will have community control of the University of Minnesota Police, but I don't see it as an easy process to establish this. And I think it's going to require a lot of support and engagement of the student body along with student activist groups. 
Dr. Alexander's review of the safety and equity at the University of Minnesota and the UMPD is still ongoing. And while we await his findings, SDS is continuing to push for community control with the upcoming march on October 16th. The Minneapolis City Council has come under national scrutiny by critics and by local supporters who had hoped to see defunding the police on the November ballot. However, groups like Justice for Jamar will go on advocating and organizing around community control with the hopes of bringing more on board with their idea. In other University of Minnesota news, Boynton expanded their COVID-19 testing on campus and moved their primary testing location to the Reckwell. A newly proposed rule from ICE would shorten international student visas to four years with heavy restrictions on extensions. And in light of a canceled donation drive, student group Swipe Out Hunger met with Senator Tina Smith to advocate for students facing food insecurity. We'll see you next week. Music in today's episode was provided by Timber and Freesound.org.